Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the sure hope that we can have through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that this morning as we read your word, you might strengthen it, us by it, that we might be equipped to live for you in the face of whatever comes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do be seated. Well, do you want the good news or the bad news? Good news? Well, Jesus has been giving his disciples the good news, hasn't he? As they face his impending departure, uh, as he heads towards the cross, Jesus has been encouraging them, comforting them, reminding them of all that he has promised to do. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he tells them. And then he lists thing after thing after thing which we can take comfort in. Both his first disciples and us now who live in the absence of Jesus walking here amongst us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. His death prepares a place that we might be with him and with his father forever. He assures his disciples of the great love that he has for them and indeed his father in heaven. He comforts them with the promise of the Holy Spirit that will come to be with them. And he pictures their ongoing relationship with him as one of great intimacy, this sense of Jesus as the life-giving vine and his followers as fruitful branches intertwined with him, depending on him. He encourages them with the promise of joy and peace and prayers answered and encourages them to enjoy this fully through trusting and obeying and loving one another. Now, many of you I know quite well. I have to say you're all lovely people, really nice people. Here's the bad news, Jesus says, to those who follow him. Even if you're nice people, in fact, fact, sometimes in spite of it or because of it, people are going to hate you. In spite of being nice people, people are going to hate you, he warns his followers. But if it's any comfort, he explains this, it's not about us, it's about them. Let's have a look what he says to comfort his disciples. Uh, We're looking at John chapter 15 and picking up from verse 18, the reading that Greg read to us. Jesus describes two types of people. He talks about the world, uh, which seems to refer, the way Jesus uses it, to humanity in active rebellion against God. All those people who deny God, who rebel against him. The world. And so this includes, for us, uh, many of our neighbours, our colleagues, our family, our friends. They belong to the world. That's one category of person. The other category of people are those who once belonged to the world, but by God's grace have been taken out of the world, who no longer belong to the world, who are ex-rebels against God. 
These are those that Jesus describes as branches attached to him as the vine. Those who are followers of Jesus, who trust in him. So there's the world in active rebellion against God and those who've been rescued out of the world, followers of Jesus. Now, I don't know, uh, you can remember an experience of being in a place where you feel you don't belong. Whether it's first day of school or starting out in a new job or that party where you realise everyone else is in a different plane to you. That experience of not belonging is uncomfortable, isn't it? And Jesus warns us to expect that because we no longer belong to the world, it's going to be uncomfortable for us as well. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, and we know they did, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. However, there's a small note of comfort there. Some will respond, if they obeyed my teaching, he says, they will obey yours also. But the main thrust of Jesus' warning to his disciples, to all who would follow him, is as we identify for Jesus, as we seek to live for him the way that he would have us live, as we speak of him, people are going to react against us. And essentially, we have no control over how our message is received, how we are received. Certainly, there are ways to make the world hate you that have nothing to do with following Jesus, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, as we faithfully seek to follow him, the world's going to hate us and it's got nothing to do with us. Some will respond, but many will hate us. And it's not about us. It reflects, first and foremost, their, stand to, their stance towards Jesus, which in turn reflects their stance towards God the Father. So Jesus says, the world's response to us as Christians reflects their true response to Christ. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And then he goes on to say, the world's response to Christ reflects their true response to God the Father who sent him. Have a look at verse 21 of chapter 15. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. It's not that the world was innocent apart from Christ's coming. They were in rebellion against God. But God had only partially revealed himself to people in the past. Now, Jesus has come as the clearest revelation of who God truly is. So there's no grounds for any excuses at all. What Jesus is saying here is God has come in the flesh. They see me and I just reflect my Father in heaven. So if they reject me, they're rejecting the one who sent me. It's like the child who's caught out doing the wrong thing. That's one thing. But when they continue on having been told off by the parent, that blatant, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it anyway. It's like this. God has come in the flesh to reveal himself most clearly. So people who reject Jesus 
can't have any claim on loving God. So Jesus leaves no space here for those who are spiritual but not religious. Leaves no space here for those who might seek other ways to God apart from Jesus. If you reject Jesus, you hate God in his entirety. And Jesus goes on to say that the world's hatred of God, hatred of him, and indirectly, therefore, its hatred of us is entirely unwarranted. Verse 25, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. Now, hate's a very strong word, isn't it? We certainly see the hatred of God's people, of followers of Jesus. We see it in history, as we read the story of the early church, even the story uh, of the Acts of the Apostle in, in the Bible. And we see it on the news, although largely underreported, uh, but we see the attacks on Jesus' followers throughout the world as pure hatred. But how do we experience it here in Sydney? In songs by comedians, Christians are easy targets for many of Australia's uh, comedians, it seems. In angry letters to the editors, in articles by Peter Fitzsimons and others, in the push against scripture in schools, amongst guests on Q&A, you just need to read the comments on any online blog article by a Christian and you'll see some of this hate. But many of us don't experience that firsthand in that intensity. We're somewhat removed or distanced from it. We might experience it in other, more subtle ways. But Jesus here warns us to expect it. To not be surprised when we're misunderstood, when we're misrepresented as religious bigots, when we're sidelined socially or professionally, when we're ridiculed as being narrow-minded, when we're patronised or condescended to as unintelligent or unenlightened or quaint when we're bullied for our faith. When we're hated for quietly believing and acting and speaking in ways that make other people self-conscious of the way in which they live. That draw other people's attention to the fact that they're not actually the centre of the universe, that they don't actually control their destiny. People don't like that. And those who are rebelling against God and his, uh, the one he sent, his son Jesus, those rebels generally don't take kindly to those who are loyal to the king. Jesus describes people's opposition to him like this in John chapter 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
Ultimately, the world hates Jesus because he testifies that what it does is evil. And they know it. So the hate we might experience might not be as extreme as in other parts of the world or in other parts of history. It might be tempered somewhat by a general apathy towards all things spiritual uh, and a general politeness. But there are certain times and certain issues and for certain people in certain contexts that they still, even in nice, friendly Willoughby and nice, friendly Sydney, will experience the harsh hatred of the world. Sometimes the fact that we don't experience a hatred from the world might be a wake-up call for us. It's worth considering how much we look the same as the world. If we belong to the world, the world would love us, Jesus says. And sometimes as followers of Jesus, we look a bit too much like the world that, we, that is in rebellion against God. But if you want to see the hatred of the world, look at the way in which it responds to people who even gently and calmly declare that Jesus is the only way to God. If you want to see the hatred of the world, look at how people like those involved in the liberty ministry uh, are received as they seek to affirm the Bible's view on sexuality and gender and marriage. Jesus says we can expect hatred from the world. Expect it personally, expect it socially. But he also says increasingly we should expect it at an institutional level, at the level of government as well. Have a look how he continues, verse, uh, chapter 16. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. For, for the first followers of Jesus, for the disciples there, being kicked out of the synagogue was being cut off from everything in the local community. It was to be totally sidelined, uh, excluded from society. And Jesus says you should be aware that this hatred of the world might even be manipulated to appear as if it's coming from good. So they will kick you out of the synagogue, so they'll kill you, thinking they're offering a service to God. For the first disciples, Jesus is warning, some of this opposition is going to come from those who claim to be followers of God. And we might expect that too. We might expect that from people who claim uh, a faith in another religion, that they're serving their gods in uh, hating us. We may even experience it through those who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to be faithful servants of God. I, I know there are people in the church here who work in Christian organisations where to make the claim of Jesus' uniqueness, to focus on his death and resurrection, puts them as outsiders. 
But I think we also experience this more broadly, this general principle of people manipulating their hatred to take the moral high ground. And I think we'll see this increasingly in Australian culture. As Christianity, which is to be uh, most clearly seen in our love for one another and our care for the outsiders, Christianity, a religion of a faith that draws us to love each other, is being increasingly characterised as intolerant, hurtful and divisive. And so our voice is excluded from the public sphere. So what are we to do with all this hate? There's a name for people who don't mind being hated. Do you know what it is? Sociopath, right? There are some people, one or two percent of the population apparently, who really don't care what other people think at all. But for the rest of us, we don't like being hated. We have a natural desire to be want to be liked and accepted. And so there's a great temptation for us, isn't there, to become more like the world so that we're loved by the world and not hated. A temptation to compromise with the world. To only say things that others will applaud. To try to fit in, to be more like the world. The world wants us to do that. It helps the world to feel better about itself. It helps those in rebellion against God to feel better about their rebellion. Because when we live, when we choose to live in a way different from them, it highlights that difference. And deep down, they know that their rebellion against God is wrong. Their lifestyle choices that they follow, their decisions, their selfishness, it shows it up as we seek to live in a way that God has called us to live. And, and so we can be tempted and drawn into this, join in with family or colleagues or at parties, join in with how they talk about things, join in with gossip. At work, joining in with colleagues who take the easy way, because if we do things the right way, it shows them up, gets them into trouble. There can be a great temptation for us to fit into the world. And I want to just take a moment at this point in time to talk about one of the areas where I think this is the greatest challenge for us, and that is as parents. Because as parents, our natural desire, and, and I know that this applies to some of us and not all of us, but our natural desire for parents, as parents, is to want to shield our children from any hardship. To want to make them fit in, to have friends, to be accepted. But here's the thing. If we really love our children and want the best for them, then surely we want them to grow in the knowledge and love of God as faithful followers of Jesus. So what that's going to mean for our children, now I think it'll be harder for our children than it was perhaps for us and for a generation before us. Because as we raise our children, as 
God answers our prayers that they might grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus and be faithful followers of him. We're raising children that the world is going to hate. And it's hard for us, isn't it? We want our children to be liked. But actually, the best thing for our children is to prepare them for a world that's going to hate them. If we're constantly compromising with, as children and trying to give them everything that everyone else has, all the experiences, not let them miss out on anything, then we're not equipping them for living in a world as followers of Jesus. We're equipping them to compromise with the world. And so as parents, this is a real challenge for us as we think through our priorities for our children. And as a wider church, we need to think about how we can love and support parents as they seek to do that. They need to find their love here in the church because they're not going to get their love out there in the world. And if we seek for it out there, we're not serving our children well. A particular challenge for those who are parents, to raise children to be hated by the world. Of course, it's not just parents who find this challenge. For those who live in, in families where their immediate family are not followers of Jesus, they face the daily contrast of views, clash of ideas. And so I think it's really important. Jesus warns his followers of this after he has again reiterated his command that we need to love one another. Love one another as the world cannot love us. Love one another as the world cannot love itself. Deeply, humbly, loyally, sacrificially. Jesus says, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. And we need to be particularly aware of those who are vulnerable in this. Those who, we all, we all need one another's love. But for those who are particularly facing the hatred of the world, they need to love even more. So those whose family context is one that's opposed to God. Those who work in particularly antagonistic roles or workplaces. We need to pray for those Christians who speak publicly. We need to pray for our church leaders, for, for our archbishop in particular. We need to pray for the persecuted church. That, we might, that they might know our love to strengthen them against a world that hates. So the solution to the world's hatred is not to compromise with the world, but to love one another. But neither is it that we just close in, we just have our own little love in and ignore the world outside us, to go off and create our own little communities. The love we show one another is to strengthen us that we might continue to live in the world whilst not belonging to it. Now, the way we are to respond to the hate is the way that God responds to the hate. 
The world may hate God the Father. The world may hate God the Son. But God doesn't respond to hate with hate. God has not given up on the world that's in rebellion against him. In response to the world's, the world's love, God res- the, in response to the world's hate, God responds with love. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's not just God loving what he made, God loving those who are actively in rebellion against him, that he would give his only son, that by believing in him they may not perish but have eternal life. God responds to the hatred of the world with love and we're to follow likewise. We are to love the world, not to be in love with the world, right? to desire the things they desire, but out of love for the world and out of obedience to God, we are to act that out in the world. Jesus' work of revealing God to the, the world will continue, he promises, after his departure. And he has two agents for this work in the world. Have a look, chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus has promised the sending of the Holy Spirit who will testify about him. And he commands his disciples, in particular here, those who were first eyewitnesses, but by extension, I think, us as well. God's way of responding to the hatred of the world is to continue to reveal him to the world through the work of the Holy Spirit and us. Uh, These are not two parallel things. God's primary way of working in the world is through us, enabled by the Holy Spirit. So as we speak to others about Jesus, God is speaking to others through the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given his disciples the good news, all the comforts and knowledge we can have through what Jesus is doing, all the promises of prayers answered and of his great love. And he's given us the bad news as well, that people are going to hate. He encourages us to trust and obey and love one another. And he says, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. He has given us all these encouragements but also warnings so that when they happen, when we find the world hating us, we're not surprised by it. We're not thinking God has given up on us. But it's happening exactly as Jesus has said. And all the more need to pray and ask that he might bear fruit in us and that we might love one another. It's really an either or. You can enjoy the love of God and of his people or you can enjoy the love of the world. You can experience Jesus' unconditional and eternal love, or you can attempt to win a popularity contest with the world. The world's love is fleeting. Jesus' love is deep and eternal and lasting. 
in the light of the hatred of the world, we can reflect on the love of God in Jesus, the love of one another as we seek to follow him and be comforted again in Jesus' words. Remain in my words, he says. Remain in my love. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for the world in rebellion against you. We thank you in that your undeserved kindness, you chose us out of the world, not because of who we are, but because you chose to love us. And so we ask now, Lord, with these reminders and comforts of your great love for us, that you might help us to love one another and to stand firm in a world opposed to you. Give us wisdom as we seek to understand what it means to live in a world opposed to you. Give us boldness to live faithfully, to speak faithfully. And we pray that in your gracious kindness, through the testimony of us and your spirit, that some in that world rebelling against you might yet be chosen out of the world, that you might use us to bring many more to faith and life in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.